Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. In the heart of the Mission District in San Francisco, at the intersection of 24th and York, there's a massive blue mural, one that will stop you in your tracks. Standing two stories high and 60 feet long, the intricate mural draws your eyes in with its depth and scale. It's a world of blue tones, like standing in front of a waterfall, and it's packed with figures, female figures. In the center, there's Chalchu Trique, Aztec goddess of lakes and streams. In the background, there are women from Bolivia, women from India, women from the Mexico-U.S. border, all standing together. And in the foreground, there's a woman standing apart, stretching out her hand like she's reaching out to you. A tear falls from her eye, and she's holding a child in her arms, as if to protect them. This mural is called La Llorona's Sacred Waters, painted by the Bay Area artist Juana Alicia. And it's been a fixture of this San Francisco wall for the last 17 years. If you've grown up with the legend of La Llorona, you might be surprised to see her like this in this mural. Because in the popular telling, the one that's most common in Mexico and here in California, La Llorona is a ghost the spirit of a woman who haunts watery places, wailing for her lost children, not protecting them. To understand how a traditional legend has come this far, has taken so many forms, we're going to delve deep into the story of La Llorona today. I'm Olivia Allen Price, and you're listening to Bay Curious. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey there, it's Olivia Allen Price, host of Bay Curious, the podcast. KQED Podcasts wants to thank listeners like you, whose support makes this podcast possible. If you want to help us continue to make great content, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. And thanks. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. 
Today, we're exploring the legend of La Llorona and how she's evolved for new generations. Bay Curious reporter Sebastian Mignobicelli brings us the story. For many Latinx people here in California, the story of La Llorona is one that you've heard growing up, just told slightly different each time. My family mainly used it to as like a scare tactic for my mom and my tias when they were younger. That's Gabriela. And because the legend is something that so many people grew up with, I asked her and some of my coworkers what they remember first hearing about La Llorona. Among all the different variations of the legend, there are common themes. The ghost of a weeping woman who haunts the waters and cries out for her children. Like my coworker Carlos says, because she wells this, like, mis hijos, mis hijos, uh, which means my kids, my kids. Um, and they said that she had drowned her own kids and that she would, you know, walk around the rivers where she, the river where she drowned them, feeling, you know, guilty of what she had done. She drowns her children and she, they say that her soul is not rested because she also killed herself, um, you know, with Catholicism, that's a huge sin, suicide. They say that since her soul is not laid to rest, she's out there um, searching for children. And because of that, she's often made into a terrifying ghost on the lookout for new children, and she wants to take them. Or maybe, as Carlos says, she's defending something. You know, it's looking for them, pushing away anybody that threatens things that are special to her, like her children or rivers. Because rivers, you know, both in Mexico and in the rest of the world can really be the lifeline of a city, of a community. There's also a traditional song about La Llorona. You may have heard it sung growing up, or more recently, in the movie Coco. So I'm actually Ecuadorian-American, and I remember being warned by my childhood friends who were Mexican that if we didn't behave, La Llorona would come get us. But if you only know La Llorona from childhood stories, trust me, this legend goes far beyond those. And it's the deep history and the evolution of the legend that brings us all the way to La Llorona's very different appearance on that mural in the mission. I want to know more about how the legend of La Llorona got started. So I called up Professora Leticia Hernandez, a writer, artist, and poet who teaches oral history at San Francisco State University. Even though there's Llorona myths throughout Latin America, I often associate it more with Mexican culture. And I think that's how we, we hear about it in, in California or the United States. For many, La Llorona symbolizes Malince, the woman who's said to have been kidnapped by Hernán Cortés to aid his invasion of Mexico, or help them by choice, depending on who's writing the history books. In this telling, La Llorona becomes a symbol of the injustices of colonization. Some folks say that it starts at, you know, at conquest. Others say it predates conquest with all of these incredibly complex and mythical Aztec 
goddesses and deities, right? Um, then you have the rendition that, you know, La Llorona is associated with Cuatlicue, the Aztec earth goddess who gave birth to the sun, moon, and stars. And that's connected to Siwateteo, right? Which is the um, the deity of women who die in childbirth. I mean, it could get really complex there, right? Professor Hernandez says that even if this legend predates colonization in 1519, the moment Hernán Cortés arrived, the way European colonizers wrote the history books about Malinche or La Malinche, it lays the emphasis on her as a negative force, a woman that stepped out of line. The way that um, the female figure of La Malinche has been demonized and constructed throughout history is problematic, especially because that, that narrative has been controlled by the heteropatriarchy and makes a, a woman who was most likely a victim into a villain. There are variations on not just who La Llorona is, but what she's doing and what happened to her children. And that there's a lot of mystery around it, too, right? It's like, oh, she was scorned by a lover, so she, you know, drowned her children out of grief. But then she's grieving forever in this limbo. And that kind of gets close to that whole bad mother narrative, too, right? So super complicated. Professor Hernandez's heritage is Salvadoran. And she says so much of La Llorona's legend reminds her of La Sinawe a Central American story that shares a lot of DNA with La Llorona. La Sinawe is a supernatural creature that takes the form of a woman cursed by the river god Lalog, who also stalks the waters and brings vengeance upon men and children. If you look at the legend, it gets more problematic because it becomes more like a spirited girl or a woman with spirit is monstrous. One version is that Lalo punished her and turned her into La Siwanaba for being a bad mother and a bad wife. Who determines that? What is a bad woman? Why is it bad to have spirit? Of course, says Professora Hernandez, for many people, La Llorona is a simple ghost story. And that's okay. Sure, I'm wearing my profe hat right now, but like, hey, you know, we I'm not trying to steal anybody's scary story or or criticize or even patronize our 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 folklore and our um, you know, and our sayings, but it is important to know the history and the roots and also how to how to rethink a, rethink it. And to connect this back to Juan Alicia's mural of La Llorona and the Mission for a moment, Professor Hernandez has actually written about this artwork a bunch and how it in her own words frees the spirit of women from roles as monstrous creatures of folklore to warrior women of history. As Juana Alicia herself explains, because La Llorona contains multitudes, she can be used as a symbol for so many things in a mural like this. The issues of water and climate justice and feminism uh, all come up. Racial justice, mixed heritage issues. Um, They're all there. On that wall, La Llorona isn't a ghost. She's flesh and blood. She's protecting a child, not threatening it. And remember how my colleague Carlos mentioned how La Llorona is also known to defend the water she haunts? You could say she's playing that water protector role right here on this mural. Even where Juan Alicia chose to paint her mural is symbolic. First of all, it's a neighborhood that I, I love, but it's where the raza is. Um, it's where people were being evicted rapidly. Um, it, again, it's like an anchor. It's like a cultural anchor. It's like a holding on to sacred space. 
in a neighborhood that I could no longer afford to live in. And most of my compatriots could not afford to live in either. Bayrona can be a symbol of complex womanhood, of being torn between two worlds, but also of loss of many kinds. How people interpret her can be incredibly personal. Just ask journalist Lina Blanco, my colleague here at KQED. So when I first heard the story, the figure of La Llorona as like a ghost who wanders at night, it was never one that scared me because I've seen scary things in my life that are not about a ghost wandering at night wanting to steal children. For Lina, La Llorona wasn't someone to be afraid of. The legend, as she learned it from the works of Latinx writers and musicians, was more of someone to learn from. The, the stories of La Llorona that I gravitated to, to never showed La Llorona as a victim, never showed La Llorona as a vengeful spirit, but instead showed this model of someone who was looking, but then also a bridge and a connecting force between the world that is living and the world that is dead. As a queer, mixed Chicana coming of age in different places, Lena said she didn't see something to fear in the story of La Llorona. Instead, she saw parts of herself. In all the stories, La Llorona wanders in the night making those sounds. It's because she's grieving, she's in pain, and she's showing it. And sometimes, other people can find grief kind of frightening. Whether or not this, this mother figure, La Llorona, lost her kids because she killed them or lost them because... Um, they they were lost to the dark night or by colonization. Wh- whatever it is, I think when someone is grieving and when someone is holding on to deep loss, people fear that too. For Lina, the way La Llorona grieves isn't scary. It's relatable because she knows how it feels to be misunderstood this way. And having experienced grief as a young kid, no one knew what to do with me. No one knew how to talk to me. And then they were like... They let me go into this fantasy world of my own um, to find my own ways of navigating through that. So I was on the other side. I lost my mom. She didn't lose me, but I lost my mom. So I parts of me have gone around the world calling out for, for her. And that's why I feel the connection um, to yeah, someone who goes looking for their loved ones who are gone. Um, we all do some of that. Just like the story of La Llorona shifts and evolves, so does a song about her. It takes on new words, and it gets new verses. And this is the version Lena herself likes to sing. And maybe on one of these colder nights, just as the sun is starting to set, you'd like to head over to the Mission District and encounter La Llorona on that huge mural by Juan Alicia. If you only heard the ghost story, she might not look like what you expect. But if there's one thing about La Llorona, is that she keeps her power to surprise.
That story was reported by Sebastian Mignobicelli and edited by Carly Severn. Tape from the interview with Juana Alicia is courtesy of the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art. It was recorded as a part of their Mission Murals project, which documents the Latinx mural-making culture that emerged in San Francisco's Mission District during the 1970s. The project launches soon on the SFMOMA website. You can see the mural, La Llorona's Sacred Waters, at 24th and York Street in San Francisco. We've also got a picture online at baycurious.org. Bay Curious is made by Katrina Schwartz, Brandon Willard, Sebastian Mino Buccelli, and me, Olivia Allen Price. Our show is a production of member-supported KQED in San Francisco. Have a great week. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest, and I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just... What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. <laughs>